It's Easter Sunday, we're in Luke's Gospel, so do keep that open in front of you. Jesus has risen, but his followers don't know that yet. And in moments where God has done something incredible, but his people haven't yet realised, Luke just loves to bring in the testimony of angels to help us understand what's been going on. 24 verse 1, on the first day of the week... Uh, some women have been follow- who have been following Jesus throughout his ministry are returning to Jesus' tomb to anoint and perfume his body when, verse 4, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And they speak to them. And during our time together, we're going to focus particularly on the question that they ask. We're going to focus on that question, then we're going to take each of the two things they say next, and then at the end, we're going to circle back to that question one more time. Here's the question, Luke 24, verse 5, look down, partway through verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? It's a question uh, with big echoes. It echoes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 8 that some of us in this room might remember from our autumn preaching series. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And looking down Regent Street, wandering through Waterstones, scrolling through TikTok, I think these angels may have the same question for us today. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Because we human beings are just constantly looking for the living among the dead. There's something that I think is universally familiar about what the women are doing in Luke chapter 24. Their hope has died, but two days later, they are returning back to the tomb where they buried it. They had hoped that Jesus was God's promised king. Now... There is echo with the shudder and crack of nails being hammered into his wrists. They had hoped that Jesus was the one who would redeem Israel. But now their clothes carry the scent of his shed blood. Their brightest and best hopes have been crucified and buried with Jesus. And a boulder has been rolled over his grave. But they don't leave it there. Two days later, they are circling back to where Jesus was buried because letting go of hope isn't as simple as sealing up a tomb. Hope can die in a single day, but it is not that quickly forgotten. So uh, these women have prepared spices and oils and perfumes. They've woken up early and they are returning to Jesus's tomb to anoint the dead body of the one that they thought had been anointed by heaven. Their hope may be dead, but their hearts are still yearning. Well, souls, here's a slightly painful question to think about as we consider these women. How many hopes have you buried in your life? And how often have you found yourself circling back to the places where you buried them? Walking past the house you grew up in back when growing up felt exciting. Scrolling through the profile pictures of the person you thought you were making a future with. Hanging up the dress you were saving for the graduation day that never came. Or the clothes from your childhood that you had hoped you might need again. It is very hard to let go of dead hopes. And some people in this room know that very, very well. These women 
are walking a well-worn path, following that basic human instinct to cling on to hopes that have already died, lingering around the places where we buried them, seeking hope in hope's ruins, seeking the living among the dead. I wonder, actually, whether there's something of that same yearning in, I guess, what you might call the folk spirituality that seems to bubble up in every culture in some way or other around death. Looking up to heaven, asking the person who carried us when we were little to carry us again. Talking to photographs or tombstones or shrines, asking for all the answers that we don't seem to have access to. Seeking out voices in bird songs or faces in the stars or spirits in the wind, it is hard to let go of dead hopes. And sometimes we end up clinging onto the dead even more tightly than to the living. At its most dramatic, I think that human yearning can take on its own religious vigor, um, incense, incantations, rituals, relics, crystals, candles, even seances. Its tone might be playful, like um, the glittering appeal of hashtag witch talk or podcast astrology, or it might present slightly more darkly as it did back in Isaiah chapter 8. Do you remember? The Assyrian Empire was clouding over the horizon and Judah turned away from the holy gods to conspire and consult with mediums and necromancers and dead and dying spirits. This basic habit has many faces and many shades, but however it may present itself, In all sorts of ways, humanity has spent a long, long time seeking hope in hope's ruins. And the question that the word of God brings to us in those moments is, why do you look for the living among the dead? It echoes out from Isaiah's lips in Isaiah chapter 8, where he asks that question as a probing rebuke opposed to a nation that was twisting itself against the holy God to conspire with dying powers of this world. Isaiah 8 verse 19, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Literally, why go for the living to the dead? And as these angels in Luke 24 echo Isaiah, their question is also a rebuke, but it's a therapeutic rebuke. A therapeutic rebuke spoken to open the eyes of women who had buried their best hopes. A therapeutic rebuke that enlightens and enlivens and ends in resurrection. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. They thought they had come to anoint their already dead hopes, but all of their grief is about to be undone. Their little attempt to cobble together hope from hope's ruins was not big enough. It was not big enough for Jesus' resurrection. They had gone to the wrong place to do the wrong thing. And so against the deadness of their dead hope, these two angels in Luke 24 place an earth-shattering knot. Verse 6, he is not here. Before Jesus' resurrection tells us something that's true, it tells us something that isn't true anymore. When the angels proclaim Jesus' resurrection, they start with a massive not. He is not here. 
Jesus is not in the grave. He is not among the dead. His tomb has nobody in it. He was here, but he is not here anymore because death is no longer the full stop that it used to be. Death is not the power that it once was. To understand the resurrection, you have to start by finding something that is not there anymore. You have to start by not finding something and unpacking the implications of that earth-shattering knot. Jesus is not dead. He is not in his tomb. It is empty. And if Jesus is not here, well, then that means that whole worldviews of other things are not true anymore. Jesus is not dead, which means death is not the end. Grief will not last forever. And despair is not the most rational way to live. Life is not hopeless. Justice is not meaningless because death does not get the last word in this world. And friends, if you're new to this church and all of this just sounds like an absurd fantasy, can I say welcome? And that is exactly the point. This is not supposed to be something that you can just bolt onto what you are already believing. Jesus' empty tomb presents itself as the fundamental challenge to small-mindedness about God and life in this world. If your biggest thoughts reach a dead end at death, then the empty tomb in Luke 24 is telling you you need to think bigger. Belief in Jesus' resurrection inevitably comes at the cost of the boundaries of what you already believed. Put another way, the resurrection is make or break for the church, but it's also make or break for any belief that does not start and end with Jesus. If Jesus is death, the church collapses and the rubble should be steamrolled. But if the tomb in Luke 24 really is empty well, then every single one of us needs to start thinking bigger about what to expect in the future and about what we should be doing about that in the present. A whole lot is riding on the empty tomb in Luke 24. So it is worth considering at this point that belief in the empty tomb, belief in Jesus' resurrection began at the very time and in the very place and among the very people that could most easily disprove it if it really wasn't true. Belief in Jesus' resurrection is built on the conviction that on that first first century Easter Sunday, Jesus' tomb was empty, and belief in Jesus' resurrection began on that first first century Easter Sunday, directly outside his tomb. A whole lot is riding on Jesus' empty tomb. And the very people who were there who knew as a matter of fact whether or not that tomb was empty, well, they bet their lives that it was. So friends, let me throw out a challenge to you this Easter Sunday. If there isn't room in your mind for Jesus' empty tomb, will you start thinking bigger? Because if Jesus' tomb is empty, then so is any worldview that doesn't start and end with him. If Jesus' tomb is empty, all your reasons for selfishness and all your reasons for despair get emptied out with it. 
If Jesus is not here in the grave, that means death is not the end, grief will not last forever, and despair is not the most rational way to live anymore. If Jesus' tomb is empty, then life is not hopeless, justice is not meaningless, and you are not worthless, but living for yourself is inexcusable, because death does not get the last words over us. That's reserved for Jesus. If Jesus' tomb is empty, all our reasons for selfishness and all our reasons for despair get emptied out with it. These women in Luke 24, they thought they were perfuming their dead hopes, that they had gone to the wrong place to do the wrong thing. Their little attempt to salvage hope from hope's ruins was not big enough for Jesus' resurrection. Jesus's plant pot tomb could hold the acorn of his body, but it could not hold the oak tree of his resurrection. They were staring at the ground, but the firework display had already begun. Jesus is not here because, verse 6, look down, he is risen. Three words that change everything. He is risen and all of our hopes rise with him. Before Jesus' resurrection tells us something that's true, it tells us something that's not true anymore. And once we have grasped the scale of what isn't true anymore, we might begin to understand the scale of what is. The implications of the empty tomb ripple out far wider than this one man who died and isn't dead anymore. That empty tomb has implications for anyone who has ever died or will ever die And the implications of Jesus' resurrection are just as monumental. See, Jesus' resurrection, it's not like some sort of second birthday for Jesus. He didn't just bounce back from death to have a second go at life. No, he, he didn't bounce back from death at all. He punched right through it. As a friend of mine once put it, Jesus' resurrection isn't just a second birthday. It's more like a second Big Bang. Jesus' resurrection is an explosion into this world of a new world in which life shatters death. The grave has been defeated, its threats have been emptied, and the curtains have been thrown open for us on the everlasting sunrise of life with God. Jesus' resurrection is an explosion into this world of a new world in which hope flattens despair, in which every tear will be wiped away and gladness and joy will overtake us because all of this world's letdowns and dead ends have come undone. Jesus' resurrection is an explosion into this world of a new world in which all light casts out all darkness. And one day his holy glory will shine so brightly that every shadow of darkness Every trace of decay, every shred of despair will vanish like the night with the morning. And the sunshine of his everlasting love will never stop shining on our faces. Jesus' resurrection isn't just some sort of second birthday for Jesus. It is, it's more like a second Big Bang. The explosion into this world of a new world in which life shatters death, light scatters darkness, And hope flattens despair. And friends, today here in London right now, we are sitting in that explosion. 
And actually, if you've got a Bible on your lap, you are holding a piece of that explosion in your hands. Okay, time for a science lesson. I'm a fidgeter, and nine times out of ten when I'm fidgeting, I'm fiddling with this ring. Sometimes when I'm doing that, I'll stop to think about how much force and pressure it takes to me have this gold ring in my hand. Stars are largely made up of hydrogen, the lightest and simplest of elements, and over a vast quantity of time, the star's immense gravity will fuse hydrogen atom to hydrogen atom, and together, those two atoms will form heavier elements like helium, and then helium will fuse to helium, and so you continue getting up to things like carbon and oxygen and eventually iron and nickel. Where are we going with this? At that point... The balance of pressure changes suddenly, causing the star to collapse in on itself and then explode out in a supernova. And in that split-second explosive pressure at the centre of a supernova, there is enough force to fuse together the very heaviest of elements, metals like silver and platinum and uranium and gold. Which means I'm holding this ring because a cosmic explosion happened on the other side of the universe. The only way I can have this between my fingers is if something exploded of cosmic magnitude on the other side of reality. And the church that we are sitting in and the gospel account you have on your lap, well, those things are no less precious, no less cosmic, and no less explosive than the gold in this ring. The impact of Jesus's resurrection exploded out from his tomb, up to heaven, down to these women, out to the 11 disciples, right through the Roman Empire in the face of intense persecution and all the way down the centuries to us. It touched every nation on earth, giving hope to the hopeless, courage to the oppressed and life to the spiritually dead. And you do not get that sort of explosion unless... Something started it. You don't get that without an explosion of cosmic magnitude, and you don't get that cosmic explosion unless Jesus really is risen from the dead. The only way you can have this story in your laps, the only way we can be sitting here 2,000 miles away from where it happened, is if something exploded on the other side of the planet. The only way you have churches right around the world celebrating what these women saw 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem is if there was a cosmic explosion, meaning that the world has never been the same again. The world we are living in is the sort of world a resurrection would leave behind. Jesus' resurrection isn't just a second birthday, it's a second Big Bang, an explosion into this world of a new world in which every tear will one day be wiped away. But that explosion is only the beginning. So come back with me as we draw to a close to the question that those two angels asked the women. Because while that question was a rebuke, I think there's a sense in which these women were doing better than they knew. And the question that the angels ask these women It brings that to the surface. Why were these women looking for the living among the dead? Partly because we human beings are always looking for hope in hope's ruins, always clinging on to dead hopes, but also 
because followers of Jesus are always looking for the living among the dead. These women in Luke 24 were walking a well-worn path, clinging on to a hope that had already died, revisiting the place that Jesus was buried like they were watering a seed that would never sprout or waiting on a firework that would never fly. And they were doing far better than they knew. Because without them even suspecting it, the living one really had been resurrected from the grave. Hope really had burst up from hope's ruins. Jesus' plant pot tomb was not able to contain the oak tree of his resurrection, which means the fireworks had begun. Friends, if death is the end, then looking for the living among the dead like these women were doing is absurd. If death is only natural, then mourning the dead is completely irrational. But if Jesus has broken through death on our behalf, then the graveyard is exactly the place where we should be patiently looking for the living. Sitting quietly beside a tombstone might be either morbid or an act of despair unless you really are patiently waiting for the day when Jesus wakes that person up that basic human instinct to cling on to dead hopes, I think it probably deserves our pity. Unless Jesus' resurrection really is an explosion into this world of a new world in which every tear will be wiped away. It makes sense to do what these women were doing and look for hope in hope's ruins, but only if you believe in such a thing as resurrection. And friends, Jesus is risen, so grieve the dead and never stop looking for their resurrection. Jesus is risen, which means clinging on to memories of the dead, setting aside time each year to mourn their loss or to visit a graveyard and decorate it with flowers. That is not denial. That is hope. That is not delusion. That is patience. Because as a friend of mine once put it, you never really bury a Christian. You plant them. A day is coming when every soul that has been sown in Christ will bud and blossom and burst up from the grave just like their saviour did. And on that day, the fireworks that began at Jesus' resurrection will fill the entire sky. So all souls, do not give up when you are sitting in hope's ruins. Keep patiently looking for the living among the dead. And next time you are mourning in a graveyard, sitting in hope's ruins, remember Jesus is not there. He has risen. And one day all of his followers will rise too. As the band comes up, let me pray before we sing. Lord Jesus, we know very well how to cling on to dead hopes. We've spent much time in hope's ruins, and in our number this evening, there are many who know how to mourn, how to grieve, and how to cry. 
death really is an enemy, so Lord Jesus, it is no small thing that you have defeated it. This Easter, would you cause us to cling to you? And would you fill us with such resurrection hope that we never give up looking for the living among the dead? For we pray that to your great glory and in your great name. Amen.